It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. It is Locked on Jazz for the 27th of September. Content day. What an absolute pleasure. I'll give you a quick breakdown on the guys. And then camp opens today with really fascinating storylines. Like who starts, who plays, who gets cut, or more detailed, who passes and who defends. We're talking about it all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers. And hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Please, five stars, comment, thumbs up on YouTube. Our YouTube question of the day is, what do you think the Jazz starting lineup will be when they open the season against the Denver Nuggets? I I don't know. Nathan Harker, Jazz pregame producer, and I were playing around with it the other day and Didn't necessarily come up with it. So that's our YouTube question of the day. Who do you think the Jazz starting five will be? Put those in the comment section uh, for us today. So yesterday was content day. And it was absolutely outstanding. Uh, And I'll tell you, these these guys are just great. Like, they've given up uh, a huge amount of their lives. They, they, They bypass things along the way because they love the game and because they have an opportunity to make generational changing money. And hopefully get to play the game they love. And in the midst of it, whatever we're doing with these kids, for all the criticism of AAU, for all the criticism of all these other things, I I saw the opposite yesterday. I saw a bunch of well-spoken, thoughtful, really thoughtful uh, young men who love the game, want to perform, want to do well, and enjoyed talking about it. It was really uh, long. We started at 7 and finished at 4.30. But it was really exciting. Unquestionably, the storyline that comes out of Content Day from a team standpoint was all of them talking about the fact that they have a chip on their shoulder, that the everyone's talking about how they don't have a chance, that they're, you know, th- there's some talent here. Colin Sexton's good. Mike Conley's good. Malik Beasley's good. Lowry Markinen's good. Like, these guys 
are a little insulted of, of the way they're being talked about. Now, you know, every top 100 ranking in the world that's being put out right now, locked on's top, uh, top 50 uh, that moved the line, we don't have one of those players. And so, you know, maybe it is going to be a case where we're in every game until late, and then it's going to be a question of whether Colin Sexton can make enough plays late in the ballgame or somebody can, can come through in the clutch like that uh, to make enough plays, which is something that, you know, probably hasn't been established out of these guys yet at this point in time in their career. Uh, and that's where that, you know, that's how you vault yourself into those kind of rankings is that, you know, you, you find, you find an ability to make plays late and Sexton hasn't really had that chance because of the fact that he was, uh, on a not very good Cleveland team and maybe, um, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we'll see, uh, whether he's got that next step in his game. So that's, I think, you know, that's the take, the number one takeaway. To, to me, the number one takeaway was how wonderful all these guys were and how thoughtful they were. Stanley Johnson was super thoughtful about the fact that he'd gone from being, you know, try, some coach had finally said to him, Stanley, you got to find the things you excel at in the league and make those even better. Where's the area where you're a notch better than everyone else? And, even, and and accentuate those rather than trying to fix all your problems. It's interesting because I do believe that. I think the um, the progression you see out of an NBA player is that year one they get in the league and there's a bunch of things they don't do well. And then year two they get in the league and they try to fix all the things they don't do well and they still don't do them well. And then year three they say, okay, well I can do these things well and they accentuate those things and they get better at those things. And that's why you get the year two to year three jump out of players. So they were delightful. Walker Kessler for the win. Walker Kessler was the last guy we saw at 4.15 in the afternoon. Our group, which was the broadcast group, was pretty punch drunk at that point. And he came in and just was hysterical. He was funny. He was more than just funny. He was witty. He was self-deprecating. He was thoughtful. He got into it with Thurl in the middle of the room on how you block shots both right-handed and left-handed on how you lure people into spots. We'll see if it works in the NBA. You know, he doesn't have that experience yet. So really an interesting uh, kind of to hear him talk about this and break down what he, his career, like how he used shot blocking, how intellectually is, how game film, like the key to shot blocking to him happens long before the game starts. It has to do with all your film study beforehand. And that was really interesting to hear out of a young player who was very mature, who's interesting to me, you know, you these guys sell a good game too, right? They all talk about it. You, you, you listen to them and you're going to believe that all of them are going to be pretty good. Um, and Walker Kessler's interesting because he grew up in a basketball family. His uncle played in the NBA. His dad played at Georgia. His brother played at Georgia. Um, his grandfather played. And so from a very young age, he knew he was going to be playing. And so he's been trained as, I thought this was really interesting. He said, you know, from a very young age, I've been trained with the ball in my hand and making plays, whereas the past generation guys would go post work on post-ups and things. But with the game, he's young enough that the game's been changing throughout his development. So he's been developing all these other skills. We'll see whether he has them or not. Colin Sexton was absolutely delightful. He just comes with a great energy and a little bit of pizzazz to him. Uh, almost a, a boyish grin, uh, but he was completely delightful. Uh, he is... By the way, speaking of clutch, he's had huge clutch experience in his opening uh, three years of his career. He's been great at it. He shot 53% from three in the clutch 
over the first uh, three, well, last year he got a little bit of time, uh, two years, three years of his career. Last year he played like five clutch games. His two-point shooting has not been very good in the clutch, and his free-throw shooting has only been okay. He's a 75% free-throw shooter. Um, his assist-to-turnover ratio is 1-to-1 in that circumstance. In his two-point shooting, he shoots 42% overall and 53% from three. So, you know, one thing to just, if you're interested in that, I mentioned, like, can Colin Sexton do things in the clutch? That's going to be another stage for him as a development of a player is that he, his next stage in this is the fact that he needs to um, is become a better late game clutch player. He was his two point shoot, and that's probably two point shooting, unless it's all going to be off the bounce threes, which you know I think is going to be an interesting kind of that's the, where the game's going. But he shot thirty eight percent on twos. But he's been he was delightful. We'll see with the ball in his hands. He's got to be excited for the opportunity of where he's going. You talked about it. He was borderline all star a few years before, um, and now has this opportunity. Uh, Mike Conley was you know Mike seeing Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson was just wonderful. George is just the coolest dude on the planet. He's just the coolest dude on the planet. He's just figured himself out. Um, he just was crazy busy this offseason with everything he's he was doing. Um, and, you know, he often goes off the grid for a few weeks. I asked him if he got a chance to do that, and he didn't. Um, he just was at, you know, Milan and then New York and doing the various fashion work and, and playing in Philippines, uh, playing for the Filipino national team, which was such an interesting thing to hear him talk about, the Philippines national team, to hear him talk about uh, and the honor that that was. So Jordan's just, you know, you're in the room with Jordan and he's just frankly the coolest dude on the planet. Mike's just the most thoughtful, you know, real dude, real guy. He's talking about if it, the family being settled and they love it in Utah. Um, and, you know, obviously if, if he gets traded, they have to talk. It's a tough time for like Jordan and, and Mike to try to figure out what's going on. They're reading all the things. Um, you know, it's funny little stories here. Alan Horton of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I've been talking with him about Vanderbilt and Beasley and Balmero and who these guys are. And he texted me the other day. He says, one thing about Malik Beasley is he'll come and fist tap every single guy in the plane before you take off every day. It's just who he is. Sure enough, he walks in the room yesterday. He walks to each person, you know, boom, 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 fist taps him, says hello. It's amazing also, by the way, like these kids, these are kids. They're very young. They're super polite. They're, they're, they're going, we're going to, we, we were in a room and they're walking, they walk in the room. There's someone handling them, you know, taking them from spot to spot. And our whole broadcast crew is there. So talent wise, it's thorough and, and Bowler and Holly and myself and Ron. And then it's also Alema and Mike Smith. And that's also Nathan Harker, our pregame producer for TV, Jeremy Brunner, and Travis Henderson, our producer and directors for TV, um, all in the room uh, there as well. And then there's a, a makeup person there for some of the TV shoots and a cam- too few camera people. And it was really interesting how many, you know, only one or two guys just kind of walked in right to their seat. Every other person walks by, shakes hands, says hello, how are you doing, introduces themselves, just... Really, it was kind of, I don't know. It was Jared Vanderbilt afterwards sat around. We talked about his injuries and how he got through his injuries. Um, the, the way we did it is Holly got a few minutes, then I got a few. Holly did some basketball stuff with them and, and their offseason and their goals and things. And then I did some kind of per- personal get-to-know stuff, and then we sat down as a group um, with them. Jared Vanderbilt was just super um, kind of talking about just his injury run and this. And he's a family of players, but he was the one that was taller um, the one that I'll tell you that was most interesting to me and always is, I always ask about birth order. And uh, the birth order is almost universally that they're the youngest. Almost none of them are the oldest. So it was one yesterday I think was the oldest in his family. But 
when when they start talking about birth order, whether they're the youngest of three and their two sisters, whatever it might be, uh, each and every time, that's that's the consistent thread is that they're always um, the one who's the youngest in the group. Today's show, uh, storylines for camp next. All right, so we'll get to that. Uh, storylines for camp. This is, I think it's fascinating. This is going to be an incredible training camp, an incredible next two weeks to watch how this plays out. Not because of trades anymore, but now because of what's on the court. And I think it comes down, there's two big picture questions that are unanswered, but I think it comes down to two little picture questions to get those answers. We'll talk about that as we continue. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also in Logan, and the Chevy lineup is just incredible right now. This is the time of year that if you're looking to go get the truck uh, for the winter, you can do it at Murdoch Chevy. They've got the, the two amazing trucks, the Colorado as well as the Silverado. $500 customer cash back and $1,000 access credit on purchase of any new Silverado. It is truck season. The Colorado is the smaller, zippier kind of move around uh, truck. The Silverado is what I like to call the lazy boy of trucks. It's not how they market it. But I'm telling you, it is the coolest ride out there. When I when we had one, you were just feeling like you were above the world, chilling out in, this, in a lazy boy chair while you're just cruising up and down the roads on the most comfortable of rides. And the 2022 Colorado is just sporty. They've souped it up a little bit. It used to be kind of a basic. It is now souped up. Some nice curves to it. Looks really awesome. The SUV lineup of Chevy, also remarkable. Uh, with the Tahoe and the Suburban that you know so well. But the Trailblazer, the Blazer, the Traverse, the Equinox, and then the Mini Tracks. All available for you. If you're going to head on over to Murdoch Chevy, either in Woods Cross or in Logan, please email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. We'll make sure we get you taken care of. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at betonline.net. Bet online for your odds, news, and scores. All out there. NFL action every single week at BetOnline. Get the latest odds. The Thursday night game this one week, the red-hot Miami Dolphins against the Cincinnati Bengals, but the Bengals are favored by three and a half despite the Dolphins win over the Bills. I always tell you who the survivor pool pick is of the week, and the odd line survivor pool of the week is six and a half for the Philadelphia Eagles at home against Jacksonville, who frankly might be good if we're not totally certain on that. NBA odds... Uh, by the way, our first preseason game is Tuesday, October 18th. The 76ers and the Celtics. Oh, no, that's the regular season. They have lines out for the regular season. Celtics by four and the Warriors by six. Championship odds. It's going to be interesting to watch. The Warriors are the favorite right now, plus 575. These are pretty interesting. No one's really the favorite here. 600 the Celtics. Bucks at 700. Nets at 750. Clippers at 750. With a hard drop to the Suns at 1200. It is going to be quite the season. That's all available for you at betonline.net. All right, storylines of camp. Who's going to pass? If you go to B-Ball Index, which I think is a a really great site, um, and B-Ball Index is a site in which they they do these these great player profiles and they break it down into various skills. And and we'll, we'll break down each of our players as we get a little closer and we know who everybody is and all those things um, sometimes. But if you take a look at our at our players here, and the, the, there's a universal theme on all of our players, and that is that they don't pass. 
I don't. It is Will Hardy is going to want these guys to have ball movement, and I think that's the first story of training camp is who's willing to pass. So when you look at these guys and start breaking them down, and you look at their b-ball index ranking, the, the the rankings for their passing, frankly, is is pretty brutal on every single one of them. Colin Sexton, here's how they they judge playmaking, like role adjusted assist points per forty seventy. Five possessions. So this is Sexton. This isn't fair. This is Sexton last year, and that was kind of a brutal year for him. So let me go to 2021. But if 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 you go to 2021 for Sexton, so this is his his good year, and you go to they have a note that calls uh, role adjusted assist points per 75 possessions on the court. So in other words, how you know how many assists do you get? He, he gets a D, he gets a D minus. If you look at his cleaning the glass numbers. At one point in time, he was in like the fourth percentile of assist to usage. Okay? So Sexton's not a natural passer. His playmaking ability is super high. His finishing talent's pretty good. He's a great scorer, but just naturally that he's he's not he's not a passer. You look at Malik Beasley. Same thing. If you look at Malik Beasley's career, and now frankly, this is what's interesting here is that this is also a little bit of what the game has asked asked them to do. In other words, Malik Beasley's asked to be a dead-eye shooter and and play that. But his assist, his passing efficiency, his passing creator volume, his passing versatility, they're, they're like in the they're they're in the D's. He's they're not a passer. Lowry Markinen, again, a little bit of what the league has asked him to do. He gets some posts up, single coverage. He's supposed to go to work. But again, same thing on him. Assist rate per 75 possessions is an F. Potential assists for 100 passes is an F. Passing creation volume is an F. Passing efficiency is an F. And, I, and, and some of this, in fairness to the guys, is what they're asked to do. Now, what's super interesting here is the latest acquisition in Kelly Olenek is a fabulous passer. And to some extent, when Mike Conley's not on the floor, he might be our point guard. Because Mike Con, because uh, you look at his assist points per seventy-five possessions, it's an A minus. His role adjusted is an A. His overall playmaking talent's an A. His passing efficiency and passing versatility is an A minus. Jared Vanderbilt is not a passer. He's not a playmaker. That's not somewhere that he's been at this point in his career. So you, the first thing that's so interesting to me about where this roster is right now is who. It sounds so basic and simple, but I actually think the coaching staff really has to like put this together, and that is who's going to pass. It's so unclear like what our rotations are, who's going to be, what they're going to do, all those kind of things. Jared Butler, frankly, is not a natural ch- passing point guard either. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I think he, you know, the, he and one other guy that I'm going to mention later, I think have a massive, massive opportunity this year Butler's rankings are pretty good um, on his passing efficiency and he did a nice job late in the year so his, he's actually an AA minus point guard Mike Conley obviously is a natural passer who looks excited to be kind of back in the realm of of being a point guard but you look at this you you know and Clarkson's not a passer so like you run through this list it's pretty like you guys can do it too Sexton's not a natural passer uh, Markin is not a natural passer. Vanderbilt's not a natural passer. Beasley's not a natural passer. Nikhil Alexander Walker hasn't been a natural passer. Um, Clarkson's not a natural passer. I, I can't imagine that Abaji is a natural passer as a rookie. Stanley Johnson's not. Wesley w- Walker Kessler, Doak, Zeller, Kelly Olynyk, and Mike Conley to me are the guys that are like natural passers. Maybe Jared Vanderbilt. And I think 
how does Fontecchio and Balmero, who both move it, fit into this is really, really interesting to me. Like, who's going to pass on this roster? And then part two of that, because these are the characteristics. When Will Hardy's talked about the team, it's going to be playing hard. It's going to be tough. It's going to be together. And it's going to run. To run and be together, you got to pass. To be tough, the others are to defend. That's basically what he's saying. So who's, who's the defensive players? Like, Mike actually defends pretty hard. He's just small. Sexton has not had a reputation of being a defensive player uh, at this point in his career. Again, these are all these guys are all developing. They're not they're not formed prospects yet. Or excuse me, they're still prospects. They're not formed players yet. So the fact that up to this point in their career they haven't done something doesn't mean they can't. It just means they haven't, which makes this to me really fascinating. Like and the next part of this is like, who's going to make the team? Who's going to get cut? So who's going to be willing to like give of themselves in a training camp where they're trying to prove that they make the team is, is pretty fascinating. Um, so who's going to defend, right? So Mike will defend and play hard and do all the things you're supposed to do. Cause he's Mike. He just happens to be small and 34 years old. Who's going to, uh, Clarkson's not a natural defender. Beasley's never been a natural defender. Markinen's never been a natural defender. Olenek's not a natural defender. Um, you know, Jared Butler, I was talking to him, they really, you know, they really asked Jared Butler to defend last year. That, or in train, in camp. That's, that's what they were asking him to do is, is, uh, to work on his defense, um, at a really high level in some, in training camp this year. Um, you know, so uh, then the question to me is, like, what happens if Sabian Lee comes out and really defends? Nikhil Alexander-Walker has not been a natural defender. I'm not sure Balmero is physically at a stage. Um, he was delightful, by the way. Um, Leo is... Taylor Horton-Tucker with his super long arms is probably a good, um, you know, opportunity to uh, suddenly make a little name for himself with his defensive uh, prowess. So to me, that's the next step of this that's so interesting is who's going to be willing to defend um, in in the game. And those two things, I think, we're going to look for scoring and big nights, but I'm going to watch it, who's defending and who's passing, because I think that's going to lead to the two bigger picture topics that we'll touch on here in a second, which is who's going to start and who's going to get cut as we continue. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first Listen to the day. It's Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. It's your team every day for your second listen. Locked on NBA Big Board. Great episode yesterday by Rafael Barlow on the top like 10, 12 prospects and the skills they need to develop this season. And he made a fascinating point in that show about the fact that last year at this time, there were a bunch of kids that were major prospects that end up kind of falling out of the top 10. So there's still a lot to develop from a draft standpoint. That's Locked on NBA Big Board. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. 
J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick and roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So who starts? That's the question I asked you today in YouTube. Who is your starting five? I I played with Nathan Harker on this the other day, or yesterday, who's our producer. All right, so Conley and Sexton and Markinen, to me, I think have to start. Now, it's interesting. Colin and Sexton and Mike Conley really shouldn't start together. Like, that's two 6-1 guards. We've seen that. Um, But I don't think you're asking, I don't think it's appropriate to ask Mike Conley to come off the bench. Maybe. I mean, Mike's such a stud that he's probably... And a team player, they'd be willing to do it. He actually even went to Quinn, I think, at one point a, a few years ago and kind of was like, do I need to come off the bench for this team? Um, the So I, I think Mike, you know, he would. I'm not saying Mike wouldn't do it. I just don't, I think he's an important leader um, on this roster as it's constructed. And, and frankly, if, they, if the Jazz move Mike Conley and move Jordan Clarkson, as many are suspecting, then some of this roster, that some of the starting lineup stuff gets a lot easier because then Sexton slides to the one, Beasley slides to the two. You're just filling in the three, the four, and the five. But the four, five, super interesting. So if you, as I, as I think, Markinen is probably our second or third best player. So Markinen ends up playing is going to start now. Who do you play Markinen and Olenek together? Not great defensively. Probably doesn't move super well. Markkinen's really big, by the way, in person. Really, really big and long. Um, And so he can probably cover up some of the defensive stuff that you wouldn't get otherwise, but that's not a great, right? Alinek and Markkinen's not a great defensive lineup, and one of the things this team really wants to do. So you're suddenly starting Saxton and Conley at 6-1 with Markkinen and Alinek. Like, I don't know how you do that. And then who's your three that's in there? But if you don't start Alinek, who's passing right we just talked about that that there aren't that many guys that naturally move the ball if you were to start Conley Sexton Beasley Vander Markinen and Vanderbilt as your center you only have one ball mover in there now Sexton maybe develops into another ball mover and a creator that pushes moves the ball but it's gonna have to really that's that's one of the questions like who's gonna pass who's gonna defend is Vanderbilt big enough to be able to play the five is Walker Kessler ready enough the way Robert Williams was the time Lord in Boston to, to play early in his career, the way that Mitchell Robinson was in New York. Um, and can he slide in and is he better off playing with better players? And you're starting is a Baji uh, long enough and athletic enough that you're sliding him into three and you're bringing Clarkson <coughs> and Beasley off the bench. Are you staggering minutes between Sexton and Conley? And I, I would think that they might start together. Then Conley goes out, Sexton stays in then Conley circles back and maybe you close with them, but that one of the two of those is always on the floor at all times. It's really fascinating on who starts. And in the comments in the comment section, have them there with different viewpoints. I don't have a starting five. Um, I mean, it's easy. Again, like if I'm just taking Conley out of it, then it's Sexton, Beasley, maybe Abaji. But the marketing and Olympic thing's really funky. Or do you go Markin at the three, Vanderbilt at the four, and Kessler at the five, and now you don't space the floor at all with those two, but you're big, right? You're going to go in the Cleveland model. Um, uh, Cody Zeller, I don't think, uh, on a training camp roster, 
or on a training camp contract is is make good contract is guy who ends up starting. But I actually wouldn't be surprised if Cody Zeller didn't start for us at some point in time uh, during the season. I think that's probably. Um, you know, I think that's probably a high likelihood that if he makes the roster, he actually would end up starting a game. He's that he's that good a player. So the starting lineup to me is wild. But the next part that's even more wild is who makes the team. And trying to figure out, like, a lot of hybrid position guys. So obviously you have Conley and Sexton. And then you have Beasley. I think I'm going to slide Beasley to three for this conversation. And then you have Clarkson as the guards. You have Markinen, Olinick, Kessler. Fonchecchio's going to make the team at a three. We've signed him to a contract. And that, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight spots. You've got seven more spots. And it's easy to say, well, Jared Butler's going to make the team. Okay, I, I would assume that Jared Butler makes the team. I think he's got a real chance. I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker has a real, real chance as well. I think... Both these guys have an. Those are two guys that I think have have incredible chances to kind of make a name for themselves and do on this roster as it's constructed right now. That Jared Butler, his offensive skills. What I saw out of Butler last year is while there was a lot to be desired on a on a young roster and a young team, is I saw a guy who really had some pretty incredible offensive skills. Um, and was and is able to you know really able was able to show those at, at a super high level. But you know what? On the other end, like as good as Jared Butler's offensive skills are, and I and I as I you know and I'm impressed. I, is do we know that Sabian Lee is actually a um, a bet not a better player? Right? Like I know that sounds really weird because Jared Butler's our guy. But if you start to like go player comparison and head-to-head on these two guys, or not head-to-head, but just like player comparison, they're not dramatically different. Frankly, you know, Jared Butler was drafted 40th in the draft. Sabian Lee um, was was drafted kind of in an equal spot. They both came out of big-time programs. Um, you know, Sabian Lee's got an extra year experience, but if you look at their shooting in, in one limited season for Butler, 360 minutes, Sabian Lee's played 1,300 minutes in two years, so he's got far more experience. He's shooting 43%. Butler's shooting 40. Butler's shooting 32% from three. Lee is shooting 27%. Neither of them, frankly, have shot it well, and that's going to be development. But, you know, defensively, Sabian Lee is thought of being a, a long, I think he's got like a, almost a seven-foot wingspan. His dad, Amp Lee, was a running back at um, Florida State. He's, he's an elite athlete. But he's, you know, he's 6'2", 183, um, and has played, you know, 85 games in the NBA, averaging about 16 minutes a game. And Jared Butler, who we all love because he's our guy, you know, and by the way, Sabian Lee, I believe from just, if you're thinking about a draft prospect, was the 38th pick of a draft. And Jared Butler was the 40th pick of a draft. So they're very, very similar players. And my instinct is exactly as yours that, well, of course, Jared Butler makes a team. He was our draft pick. Well, okay, but, and Justin Zanuck was still the one who drafted him. So it, that seems logical, but... I, I don't know that. Like, it, is there a chance that Sabian Lee's defense is that much better than Jared Butler's? That Jabin Lee makes the makes the team. I think that's a that's an interest. You know, to me, like, what about Nikhil Alexander Walker? 
Do we know for a fact that Nikhil Alexander-Walker makes his team? Former first-round draft pick? You would think so. And I actually think Nikhil Alexander-Walker has an amazing opportunity here with a little, just kind of get his feet, get his bearings after being bounced around a little bit. Um, He started 35 games in the NBA already in his career. That whole last season was a mess with Willie Green. He talked a lot about he just got uncomfortable, got inside his own head, spiraled down a little bit. And then came to Utah and never, never got his bearings. We were too good a team. But this is a guy that was really inefficient but can really score to former 17th pick of a draft. And where does he fit into this mix? I think that's interesting. Balmero's an interesting one. Like, I, I really like the way Balmero plays. And um, and it's 6'6", 200. He's got good length and he's a ball mover. But he frankly shot 31% from the field last year and 28% from three. I also think COVID plays a huge part in this. A lot of these guys just didn't have a natural getting ready for the season in their in their time. So I, I think this is going to be incredible to watch. We're not going to necessarily know what happens behind closed doors in practice. But when they get on the floor in Edmonton, guy has a good game and suddenly gets more time in Portland and then has a week of training camp. And then we come back and play San Antonio and Dallas in our preseason games. The roster could be changing. Guys could get moved, but roster could be changing and you know, does Stanley Johnson find a way to make this team? Um, he's probably got an uphill battle, but you know what? Talking to him yesterday, that's a former number ninth pick of an NBA draft who's trying to figure it out. It can do unique things on the floor. How, does Doak get healthy enough to make this team? Like, I think there's, I think he's battling for a roster spot as as well. If Cody Zeller's ready to go, which he you know probably is, or you still trying to develop Doak? Like, I think there's, it's fascinating to see where this goes. And my point of this is that I think, and I'm not trying to overplay it and I don't want to like cause like anybody's family distress because I might be overstating it, but I know Conley's making the team if he's not traded. I know Sexton's making the team. I know Clarkson's making the team. I know Beasley's making the team. I know Foncheckio's making the team. He signed for two years. I know Markinen's making the team. I know Olenek's making the team. I know Kessler's making the team. That's eight. I'd presume Jared Butler and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Sabian Lee have a chance at Balmero, Taylor Horton-Tucker... Seems like they seem like they should. Abaji's making the team. Like I know Abaji's making the team. Okay, so add that to the list. That's nine. Like I think the other six spots, and I know Vanderbilt's making the team. So I've I've, I've missed a few in there. I, I think the other spots are are wide open. Like I think we have five five roster spots that are just wide open right now, and that is making for an incredibly interesting training camp, and probably a hard fought one. All right, have a great one. That is Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Locked on NBA Big Board, your second listen, plus incredible content at Locked on NFL on YouTube. Have a great one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.